Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay, we're all in take five. Hook them up with he and Rod P. Brought to you by Bud Light on the Horn. <laughs> Welcome up, rolls on, hour three of our five-hour morning-by-morning conversation. Appreciate you being there. Only 15 hours of Hook'em Up this week, Rod. We'll be off on Thursday and Friday mornings. Yeah. But we will be there for you for the pregame show Friday afternoon from the Mockingbird Saloon down on Guadalupe. Get you ready for Texas and Texas Tech on Friday night at 6.30. Longhorn still sitting atop the Big 12 Conference standings heading into the final weekend of the regular season with four teams behind them at two losses Uh, or three teams behind them with two losses. Texas Tech, the opponent on Saturday. Longhorns uh, get the win, 26-16. Coming up, bottom of the hour, we go behind the burnt orange curtain. Rod will uh, again talk about how Steve Sarkeesian, big game ball for this one. His game plan, his execution, his uh, play calling gave the Longhorns a schematic advantage against a pretty sound and disciplined Iowa State defense. Also on a good, bad, and ugly Monday, Rod, how about some goods for, uh, we mentioned C.J. Baxter. Uh, He and Jaden Blue, because we talked going in in the pregame, you know, Jonathan Brooks was averaging 150 yards from scrimmage per game. I mean, he was at almost 1,500 yards through 10. So he was bringing so much production. You called him the engine of the Texas offense. Uh, you know, Jonathan Brooks and Jaden Blue, um, you know, gave the Longhorns nearly that, nearly 150 yards from scrimmage. Yep. Uh, you also had Burt Auburn kicking three more field goals. He's 14 straight now. He's been clutch. Knocking it through the goalposts. Those have been big. Uh, Jordan Whittington, a 23-yard touchdown catch to give the Longhorns the, that 10-point lead in the third quarter, his first touchdown catch of the season. Uh, that was big for him. He also had that two-point conversion. Gunner Helm, 31-yard touchdown catch in that game. Uh, so, so, you know, some, some guys that maybe we don't talk about a lot stepping up and uh, making big plays to help with the absence of your best running back. Yeah, no, it just definitely seemed like it was an all-hands-on deck. I thought the offensive line actually played uh, really well in the second half, too, and posed their will in the running game. Um, it seems like in the past, uh, past protection, they struggled in the first half. Uh, there were a lot of amoeba fronts by Iowa State. They threw some pressure packages on third down. When they got Texas in predictable passing situations, they were able to throw together some uh, really elaborate exotic pressure packages and get to Quinn Ewers. Had four sacks in the first half. Two of those, I believe, were on in empty formation because Sark was utilizing a lot of empty and that was working against Quinn, and which is counterintuitive. Usually, you know, with empty balls out quick, ball was not out quick. So something was going on. And I think Sark did a great job of being able to to diagnose what the issue was and figure out. We'll get into it. We we'll go behind the burnout curtain and figure out the best course of action going forward, considering the limitations, considering you know the opposing defense you're going up against, and considering the opposing DC. No Jonathan Brooks. Um, I thought I thought Sark uh, called a brilliant second half to that game. We'll get into it. 
Yeah, well, I also thought early in the game with those sacks, I mean, Quinn was, was kind of tapping the ball, but then I also thought Jatavion Sanders was, was struggling with his blocking assignment, and that's, then you saw Sar go to a little bit more of the two tight end stuff, get Gunnar Hellman to the game, mm-hmm. uh, which he ended up having a nice game. So we'll hear more of that behind the BOC. Also, good, bad, and ugly. How about a good for the Cowboys, Rod? Seven and three now. And they held the, their defense with Micah Parsons. You hear the story that he took some, some, some energy drink before the game? Because people thought he might be sick because he, he was kind of – kind of not there yesterday mm-hmm. he said he took an energy drink and his heart was racing like he oh, took some man. c4 or something and he th- th- felt like his heart was going to explode i don't like energy drinks me either. <laughs> me either and he doesn't oh, usually no, drink man. them but he took some like protein some powder yeah oh. uh, mm. and c4 or something yeah, I don't I, know. every football game i played in high school i, I drink that before and then i throw up <laughs> after the first possession and the, you I, did and i'd feel great after that but the for the, during oh. the first possession i felt like crap every single game but i still did it for some reason and the deer antler spray senior year as well that's oh, right. That's right. Oh, didn't that, isn't that what uh, like Ray Lewis them got in trouble for the deer antler spray stuff? Yeah, that's right. You did the deer antler spray. That's hilarious. That's crazy. Yeah, but so without Micah Parsons being a huge factor in the game for the secondary, they held the Carolina Panthers to 187 total yards in the game, 187. That's crazy, man. I'm telling you, uh, I, I, if if you, you look at the Longhorns, so going back to uh, what the Longhorns did, that nine yards rushing that they held uh, Iowa State to is easily the most remarkable stat of the game. Easily. Easily. Yeah, but I mean, that's because I'm going to go back and do the research, and I'll probably try to have it later this week. Last time Texas held an opponent to single digits on rushing yards. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. So. Yeah, and, that, and that's, you know. That's we, why they won the game. Like, we, that's why they were in the game. Yeah, that's right. And, yeah. and, and that's why you feel good about the Texas Tech game, because those, two, those dudes are showing up again on the front, and they're going to have a hard time running the ball. Now, again, they can go to, to some pass first, and Baron Martin's a good quarterback. But, man, that is, that is remarkable. And, and, and they're finally getting the national credit I think they deserve for being. Well, Sweat is now, the, too. Yeah, T. Sweat, I think that's one of those Outland Trophy kind of performances You're that right. he had on Saturday that night. That was one of them performances, man. Because that blocked extra point was big. Oh. Uh, that was momentum. They had scored that touchdown, and the crowd yeah. was getting into it. Block kick, and Austin Jordan scoops it and takes it to the house. Those were two big points and uh, kind of stemmed the momentum. It did. Uh, and then he just devoured the uh, the interior of the Iowa State offensive line. Very impressive. Also on a good rod, and then Texans are six and four, uh, and they're in the playoff hunt. C.J. Stroud threw you know, his first. Th- How about his first three interception game ever? He didn't do it in high school ever. He didn't do it in college, and he really? didn't do it in the pros. He's I, never I, I had, didn't know that. That's a great he's stat. never had three interceptions in a ball game. That's a great little nugget. <laughs> but he did say after, it's like, does Steph Curry stop shooting because he has a bad night? No. <laughs> Hell no. I'll keep going. You got to keep going, baby. You got to keep shooting. Keep shooting. Hey, hey. I'm getting attacked by a dog here. Love it. Yeah, we're we're we're, we're dog sitting my brother's dog. I love and he's, it. He has woken up. There she. Awesome. This is Stella. This oh, is Stella. hey Stella. So she was oh, sleeping most of the morning. Now she's awake she's and she's beautiful. saying hello to Rod. Oh, she's beautiful. My she's wife. a doodle. Oh, I, my, we want a doodle at the house. Actually, yeah, she's very friendly. But, but we got she, a baby, so no Rod's doodle. new new to the house, so he's getting the greeting. We apologize for that. I'm getting all the love here, all the dogginess. <laughs> uh, let's get to the uh, other headlines of the morning. But I'll also say this: Can I give a good to the Texas A&M Aggies and Elijah Robinson, their interim you head coach? Give some props to the Aggies. Did you see what they did on Saturday? I thought this was really cool. Like they, they have an interim coach, and he put an entire eleven walk-ons on the field on kick coverage. Uh, you know, the 12th man tradition. Oh, And they put 11 walk-ons on, on a kickoff. Wow. And not only did they make the tackle right around the 10-yard line, they forced a fumble and got the ball. It was really cool. Hold up. They actually forced a fumble? Yes. Yes. That is amazing. We'll play it for you coming up. It's pretty darn cool.
Oh, uh, I'm not gonna lie, that is pretty cool. I mean, there were a lot of chills in the building, and they, they were that's, honoring the twelfth man and found they were they're honoring that's something. Shit, man, that's classic. That was cool. So eleven walk-ons get the chance to that's walk like out. Rudy, that's like a Rudy moment. It was. <laughs> now they were playing uh, Abilene Christian, but still, still though, that's cool. That was cool. So props to the Aggies for going oh, there. I don't care who you Elijah playing. Robinson, their interim coach, and. Um, you know, they that was that was a good moment. They could have blown up in your face too. Yeah, <laughs> I was thinking, oh no, it's going to go to the house. It's going to the house. I'm be like, you, you idiot, why'd you do that? But no, they, they got the ball. Wow. They forced the turnover. That's fantastic. Oh, we'll let you hear that coming up. I like that play. All right, let's get to uh, the other headlines real quick, including the Longhorns, where they're sitting in the big picture. All right, college football um, brings you the starts it off. It's brought to you by Top Gun Rentals and Lawn Equipment. They bring you the top stories. Uh, fifth consecutive week now, Longhorns ranked seventh in the AP Top 25. After that 10-point win at Iowa State, uh, it secured the program's first 10-win season since 2009. Uh, they're still sitting atop alone, atop though the Big 12 standings at 7-1. Friday's regular season finale with Texas Tech remaining. With a win, Sarks Horns will lock up a spot in the Big 12 title game. Was well, a change ahead of Texas in the AP poll this week with Georgia remaining one, but Ohio State jumped into the two-spot ahead of Michigan. Those two will play Saturday to see who represents the East Division of the Big Ten uh, against Iowa. More significantly, maybe in the AP poll, Washington moved past Florida State to number four. Uh, Florida State slips to five despite winning and beating North Alabama. But in that game, Florida State lost their quarterback, Jordan Travis, to a season-ending leg injury. Uh, we'll keep an eye on that. That's a big, big development in the big picture of college football. College basketball, what a finish at Madison Square Garden yesterday. 19th-ranked Texas men struggled for most of the afternoon uh, in game one action at the Empire Classic there. Found themselves down, though, to unranked Louisville 80-79 to late in the game in clutch time. Texas defense forced the Cardinals into a 24-second violation. That got them the ball back with under 10 seconds to go. One last shot. That's how it Maybe not. Let's see. Cunningham has it. Six seconds. They get it in the hands of Aismas. Guarded by Clark. Tough shot. Yeah, Max Aismas struggled with his shot all afternoon, but nailed it when it mattered. That was uh, Carl Ravitch on ESPN yesterday. Texas now 4-0. They face a huge challenge tonight facing the defending champions from UConn in the championship game of that Empire Classic uh, at about 6 o'clock tonight, the tip time. Texas women also 4-0 to start the year. They wallop Louisiana Tech 96-44 at Moody Center. Week 11 in the NFL, winning day for both the Cowboys and Texans. Cowboys cruise past Carolina 33-10. Uh, Dak Prescott, pair of touchdown passes. Quarterback Deron Bland tied an NFL record with his fourth pick six of the season down in Houston. Texans ran their win streak to three. They improved to six and four on the year with a 21-16 win over Arizona. C.J. Stroud threw for 336 yards and two touchdowns. Also those three picks, first time in his young career where the Texans defense rose up over and over to make big stops. Week 11 wraps up tonight with that great match, the uh, Super Bowl rematch on Monday Night Football. Kansas City uh, will host the Philadelphia Eagles. Chiefs are 7-2. Eagles are 8-1. 0-2 night in the NBA for the Texas teams. Mavericks lost at home to Sacramento. Rockets lost a tough one to the Lakers in L.A., 105-104. Horn Headlines brought to you by Top Gun Rentals and Lawn Equipment. Gobble up discounts this month by getting 5% off any rental or purchase of steel outdoor power equipment by donating two non-perishable food items from Capillary Food Bank. TopGun.net, we'll shoot you straight. Uh, one thing to uh, think about with uh, Quinn Ewers, I saw this stat. It's a great stat about Quinn, too, and we'll get into some more uh, discussion about uh, the way he performed in an Iowa State game uh, on play-action pass uh, versus Iowa State. 80% completion rate. His two touchdowns uh, were on uh, play-action passes, and he had a 91 passing grade on play-action pass. It, it was interesting because in the running game, think about the running game, how well it was working, right? And you actually were able to run the football effectively on them. They were running the football effectively even in the first half, 
And this is how you know Stark wanted to close with the running game. We talked about this on the in-game live watch. Yeah, we did. Right? He was averaging, what, over seven yards per rush in yeah, the first CJ half? Yeah, C.J. Baxter was And had, like, what, five or six rushes or somewhere around there? Yeah, he, he didn't have a lot. Yeah, they were collapsing the right side of that line, and they were able to – T.J. Baxter got going. I mean, he was, like, six and a half, seven yards a carry, and he, but he only had four or five carries, four carries. And they had the four sacks in the first half. And like, hey, run the ball, Sark. I, I think it was intentional. I think Sark wanted to close with the run game. I think that was I think that was deliberate by him that he wanted to close. And we we talked about it, right? You said it ideally. That's what he did in the Bama game. I think that's what he wants to do all the time. I think that's why he's kind of built the roster the way it is with the big humans and you know with the with with the ability to have the power run game. I think that's how he wants to finish games. I think he wants to start though with the pass, like he starts drives and he wants to be able to, you know, exploit teams via the pass and use all those weapons that he's got in the passing game. But once he gets a lead, he would like to be able to pound the rock, choke the life out of the clock and force teams to submit. And he did that against Bama. And I think for Sark, he thought, if I can do it against Bama, then my my formula works. It'll work against anybody. Yeah. I can do it against anybody. And strangely enough, it, it hadn't worked quite the way he wanted it to in the last month or so prior to this game because they were playing such a bad stretch of football toward the end. He wasn't able to close out opponents with the run game. He almost had to close them out in desperation, whichever way you can. Well, Just the, get the win. Yeah, that's why he was so irritated last week after the TCU mm-hmm. game when they couldn't run the clock and he run the run ball the yeah, exactly. and convert third and one, third and two, third and three. And Texas fans thought he was too conservative. And Sark's like, look, we're trying to run the clock out here. To, yeah. We got a lead on the road. We should be able to run the football. And um, you know, the fans are, think he's too conservative when he does that, and then they don't think he's aggressive enough if he does run it out. But either way, you won the football game. Damned if you do, damned if you well, don't. Well, that's why I think Sark actually this season, and I said this on Football Theory a couple of weeks ago, uh, you know, I think Sark actually may be walking the line perfectly here when it comes to balancing being aggressive and being conservative because half of the Longhorn fans, you talk to them, they think he's too conservative. He's too conservative, man. He needs to be more aggressive. Be more aggressive in the second half. Do what you did in the first half to get the leads. Do that in the second half. And then their other half of the Longhorn fans you're asking me, like, man, I think he's throwing he's throwing too much in the second half. Taking too many shots downfield. He needs to be more conservative on the football more. And they say this in radio all the time. If half the fans agree with you and half of them disagree, you're actually doing your job. Doing damn you're right. right. You're doing. You, you, you're walking the line perfectly. If everybody agrees with you, eh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if you're doing interesting enough already. I don't know if you're thinking it through enough. I don't know if your your topics are compelling and thought provoking enough. You want to you want to be able to walk that line. And I think Sark is kind of walking that line because half the fans I talk to are like, oh, he's too conservative. Other half, oh man, he takes too many chances in the second half. He's too aggressive. I'm like, which one is it? He's too aggressive, or too conservative. Yeah. Uh, if it depends on if it works. <laughs> it depends on if it works. <laughs> yeah. Exactly right. Yeah. Hey, can we get to uh, Sark, his initial thoughts when he sat down at the podium at uh, Ames, Iowa after a 26-16 victory? Here's Coach Sark from Saturday night. I'm really proud of our team in that, uh, you know, this was not one phase or, or one aspect. You know, this was, this was a lot of different players, you know, making plays tonight and making plays at some pretty critical moments. Uh you know, I thought, you know, Cedric Baxter, you know, coming up and the opportunity he got and to, and to go, you know, for 117 yards and hard yards against against that defense. I thought a variety of guys making plays in the passing game. Um, you know, clearly the tight ends showed up when we needed them. Um, Xavier with some with some with some great ops and and it's unfortunate for for AD, you know, having the touchdown call back and he got the one pi and 
you know, I, I don't know about a couple other calls. Jordan Winnington with some great plays, a two-point conversion, the touchdown catch. So, and then Jaden Blue, you know, a fourth and one, and he's the guy that 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 seals the victory there. So a lot of different guys uh, on offense. I, I think on defense, defensively, you know, our front did it again. You know, Byron Murphy with some really critical stops. Um, they're on third down, and then uh, you know, Tavondre Sweat showed up again, and what a huge play. Uh, on the blocked extra point for two points there, uh, and what what an interception for Jaron Thompson. You know it's a, it's unfortunate because we played really good defense in the second half, um, but on the fourth and inches they throw the pop pass to the tight end, and that's really all they had. You know, so I really thought we controlled the game. Um, you know, we, we you know again to get two touchdowns called back and you fumble on the nine yard line going in, uh, and and you still you know win a football game by ten points. Um, and possessed it at the end, and we, we were able to run it when they knew we were going to run it. Um, really proud of our guys, and I'm proud of those same three-year guys that I keep bringing up, that I keep talking about, um, because we were here, we were here, you know, three years ago, and this was a tough scene. And um, I think that was a moment when the program started to change after that. But that was a long week for us that 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 year, and that was a tough night to endure. Uh, so to come back um, kind of on our farewell, farewell tour uh, and, uh, and to get some redemption here uh, is, uh, is a big one. So, I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm happy for the guys. I'm happy for our coaches and, and everybody involved. But we're not done yet. You know, we got another big game this Friday, and we need to get back and we need to get as healthy as we can to uh, put our best foot forward to try to uh, secure our opportunity to play in the Big 12 championship. All right, there's Sark, mm-hmm. Rod. He also went on to say that the uh, – the idea of having Tavondre Sweat and Byron Murphy go out as the captains, the only two, was uh, intentional, very intentional. Yeah. That he wanted like those that. two guys, after being called out by the offensive lineman for Iowa State, to stare them. They'll be out there and stare down that sidelines and let them know what they were in for. And they backed that up. And he also said uh, you know, to the Brees Hall comment, Sark was, was pretty, you know, this Iowa State game means a lot to him because of the comments that have been made. And Matt Campbell, I know he has a lot of respect for the way he coaches. Yes. But, uh, you know, he said, you know, that, that comment about five-star culture, you know, five-star culture beats five-star players. Sark said, hey, we now have five-star culture and five-star players. That's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. Um, and he's right about that. I mean, you've, you've had some wins that have been, uh, I think, a direct result of your culture, right? Being able to, um, you know, deal with adversity, being able to respond in the second half, uh, being a team that can make clutch plays in critical moments. And we've seen that team do this over and over again. Saw them do it again this past weekend in the second half versus Iowa State. That's a good football team, guys. I mean, it really is. I mean, defensively, like I said, they're one of the best defenses in the country, and they're, they were getting better week to week. Um, Texas just forced Iowa State to be a one-dimensional football team offensively, forced them to operate outside their comfort zone, which they could not do. They made a couple of plays here and there. For the most part, Iowa State wasn't going to be able to beat Texas, spreading them out and throwing the football. Um, they were going to have to make some plays, running the football, converting third downs, and that's nothing they didn't do. They couldn't convert. They yeah. couldn't convert. They couldn't convert consistently and stay on the field against the Texas defense. Um, that Texas has been doing it all year. They're a top five third down defense, top five red zone defense. The Texas defense, we're uber critical because we're so close to it. But the truth is they, they, they can only be attacked in very specific ways, very specific ways. And if you cannot um, expose them in those specific ways, then you're in trouble. Now, I will say found one way to do it. What was that one way? Inside breaking routes. Oh, yeah. What I tell you before the game, so I said they're going to throw a lot of inside breaking routes because last year they had a lot of success throwing inside breaking routes. And this season, Texas has had a tough time defending inside breaking routes. 
So I told you they're gonna throw a ton of inside breaking routes. I think they do. I think they targeted like ten of them. Same same concept too, over and over again. Slant, 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 slant. And if you're Texas Tech, you throw twenty of them. Yeah. All right? <laughs> well, Texas don't defend them well. Because they don't. And they, the, the leverage situation, giving out, giving inside leverage when you yeah. have a boundary, is still frustrating for Texas fans. Yeah. But so we're again, nitpicking. We're nitpicking. Yeah, they're not. They're, I mean, they're ten and one. They're yeah, ten and you, one. You can only attack that defense like like four, like three or four ways. And if you don't have those three or four ways, you are SOL. Well, a lot of a lot of uh, conversations can be set aside this Friday. If you win the game, Sark's now a champion. You know, gets to play for a championship, mm-hmm. hasn't done that. This team gets to 11 wins for the first time in a long time. There's a lot to play for this Friday. Plus, the trip to the Big 12 title game, not secure yet. I mean, there's still ambiguity uh, with all these teams that are at two losses. You do not want to become one of those, right? No. Uh, you handle your business, and you're fine. You'll be the one seed, uh, first team in at the Big 12 title game uh, on Friday night. All right, Rod, I want to play this for you, and then we'll get to a timeout. We'll go behind the burnt orange curtain, talk more good, bad, and ugly from the busy weekend. But here is that play from Texas A&M that I wanted to play. I mean, Aggies haven't had a lot to cheer for this year. They're looking for a new coach. They're, they're going a different direction, but I thought this was pretty cool. Uh, honor and the walk-ons, which is a tr- proud tradition of A&M with the 12th man. Here's how it sounded. And Elijah Robinson sending out a all-walk-on kickoff team in honor of the 12th man kickoff team that made its first appearance at Kyle Field against Cal to open up the 1983 season for head coach Jackie Sherrill, who was honored at halftime. They went wow. crazy. They went nuts. All the walk-ons. They That's get a crazy. turnover. That they, is unbelievable. I can't believe they actually forced a fumble too. And that there was uh, the, the announcer That's announcing why they did it. Jackie Sherrill was that was honored, and that he started that tradition back in 1983 of the 12th man. It's one of the one of the cool traditions of college football. Aggies get it. We get uh, you know once again, Rod. The top eight teams in college football win. They handle their business uh, with Michigan and excuse me, with Georgia just getting better as the year goes on. Uh, they hammered uh, Tennessee in Knoxville. How about that game? They they gave up a 75-yard touchdown run on the first play, first drive, and then outscored Tennessee in their building with Dolly Parton and Peyton Manning there. Did you see those two leading Rocky Top? Yeah. They outscored them 38-3. to Embarrassed them with Dolly in the deal. <laughs> Dolly was there. Yeah, it didn't matter. It didn't matter. Georgia no getting, mojo from that. Uh, Michigan had to survive Maryland. Ohio State with a win. Uh, I picked Oklahoma, Oregon State Washington, to pull I was the upset. Washington, that was a hell of a game. 22-20. They played in the rainstorm, and uh, Washington held on with Michael Penix. They just keep doing it. And, and you know, it was, it was kind of like Texas them. They had to get a big defensive stop to, to, to hold on to that game, and they got it. Michael Penix led them on a big drive. It was That's a good team, obviously. And they, we'll see where they are in the college football playoffs tomorrow night. But, uh, yeah, top eight continuing to win. And uh, the big conversation outside of, of Jimbo Fisher now in college football, Rod, is – Lincoln Riley. They got hammered by UCLA Saturday. Yeah, I think there was a piece in the LA Times that basically was calling for Lincoln Riley's job and saying it might be time for Lincoln Riley to be fired. I think that LA Times has called for Chip Kelly and Lincoln Riley's job in like the last two or three weeks. It's amazing. And it's like, well, I don't, you see Dan Mullen's tweet? Uh uh-uh. uh. Dan Mullen had a tweet, and this was prior, this was like right probably at halftime of that game, the uh, USC UCLA game, saying, I think the wrong. Uh, Wrong college football coach in L.A. is on the hot seat. 
With Chip Kelly, yeah. Because everybody thought it was Chip Kelly. And he was like, no, nah, I think it should be Lincoln Riley. Lincoln Riley might need to – I'm telling you, Lincoln, just go to the NFL for it. You, you need to go to the NFL. You and Jim. The bloom is coming off the rose. Just go to the NFL for like three years. If you, if you succeed, great. If you fail miserably, who cares? They're going to pay you so much money. Ask Matt Rule how much they'll yes, pay you. Yes, exactly. <laughs> then you come back to college. And by the way, you'll be the most coveted coach uh, for the coaching carousel in college too. But right now, I'm agreeing. Your stock is dropping. You need to go to the NFL right now. Go right away. Follow Caleb. Yep, whatever. You know right you got away, a quarterback there. They'll be – exactly. You can go there for three years. Somebody will overpay you. And if you fail, you'll have another job in college. But right now, you go to another gig in college and it doesn't work out. And think about how far you would have fallen yeah. from being considered the top rising star in college football to now being a guy like, oh, man, he can't, he can't build a program because all he cares about is offense. Go to the league. Go to yeah. the league now, Lincoln. Well, and right. I mean, at Oklahoma, <laughs> we know he inherited a good program, a championship program from Bob Stoops. Go to Lincoln handed now. it to him. Go to the NFL. And it, it, Kind of it trickled down, especially Tail on defense. Spin, yeah. Won some Heisman trophies. Always had great offense, but by the time he left Oklahoma, the defense had completely evaporated. There, uh, that Bob Stoops had a proud, you know, tradition mm-hmm. of. Uh, and now at USC, he's just not building it at all. All right, uh, we will come back when we do. We go behind the BOC. We got off the record before the end of the hour. Uh, we'll be at the turn. We'll be halfway through our program on a Monday. Glad you're with us on Hook 'Em Up. Aaron Hogan. Rod Babers, hook them up. 1019 AM 1260, The Horn. Yeah, fair warning. Do not try to read the release from the Big 12 on their tiebreaker scenarios. It'll make you dizzy. Four teams. Longhorns just need to go ahead and win their game Friday night and uh, beat Texas Tech, and they'll be in, Rod, as the only mm-hmm. one-loss team. And sitting at 10-1 uh, and one now, could be 11-1. and one. Uh, we'll certainly start to, to look forward to the Texas Tech game as we get closer to it. But uh, certainly recapping the big win at Iowa State, 10-point win on the road. And as you just heard Steve Sarkeesian say, you know, to have two touchdowns called back by penalties and uh, one that uh, Xavier Worthy fumbled going in. Uh, those were, were three really, really good scoring opportunities the Longhorns did not cash in on uh, that, you know, they still won by 10 points. So that game could have been more comfortable than it was. And for the defense, as you said, Rod, just nine rushing yards crazy. against that Iowa State rushing game, which had gotten better as the year went on, just overwhelmed them at the line of scrimmage. Very similar to what they did to K-State, Rod, where you just almost made a team that likes to run the ball pass first. Mm-hmm. Um, and as we sit here this morning, the Longhorns are now in Big 12 conference play, last in pass yardage allowed uh, in the conference of the 14 teams at 281 yards per game. But, you know, when you can't run the ball, you got to do something. Try to move the football. I mean, exactly. It's teams out of desperation. Teams don't want to be this pass happy throwing against Texas. Trust me, they don't want to do that. But they they have no choice. They there's nothing else that's working for them against Texas. And I think I think the screen game could work a little bit. Maybe they broke out the screens early on against it. They had a couple of screens that worked. They did a little couple, middle screen. A couple of tight end screens that worked. I think your screen game will work against Texas. We've seen that work. A couple of teams have done that, right? We saw uh, Wyoming do that. Screen game. Why does screen game work against Texas? Their fast flow. Their fast flow defense and their, their, their quick read. So their first read, they're a go, fast flow. That's why we've seen uh, TCU had a stock block and go that worked. We see some screens work because those are concepts that force your aggression to work against you. Uh, so I think, yeah, there's a, they're not a perfect defense. But, man, if you can force, a def- force any offense to be one-dimensional, I mean, that's it. You, yeah. you, to me, you are, you are, you are, it's half the battle <laughs> because you've made them one-dimensional. 
Yeah. All right, Rod, let's go behind the burnt orange curtain, talk about Texas and this win. It's the uh, second time this morning we'll do it one more, but uh, let's get the, the deep dive analysis about this game, how the Longhorns pulled off a 10-point win to get to 10 wins for the first time in a long time. And they were all asking themselves the same question. What is behind that curtain? All right, let's talk about uh, Texas and their win over Iowa State. And I want to give Steve Sarkeesian a lot of props. Uh, you know, I've talked about how Texas is going to need a schematic advantage, right? It's not enough to just have the talent advantage. You need a schematic advantage as well. And Sark's got to be the one to give Texas that schematic advantage. In this game, after halftime, it's 6-3, to three, Texas with the lead. And keep in mind, Iowa State's got the best second-half defense in the Big 12, top 10 second-half defense in the country, running the, th- the dreaded three-high three down by one of the best defensive play callers uh, and adjusters and chess masters. I always say you got to win the chess match within the game. Well, John Haycock is a chess master with that three-high three down defense of Iowa State, and he's one of the pioneers, one of the founding fathers of the three-high three down. Teams come from all around the country, Power 5, defensive coordinators, NFL defensive coordinators. They come from all around just to study. Go, go to Ames, Iowa, to study the three-high, three-down defense because John Haycock is one of the pioneers of it, right? One of the founding fathers, and they, they run the scheme as well as anybody in the country. And, you know, Sark understands, and I've been talking about this for like two years now, he's got to figure out an antidote to the three-high, three-down. He's got to solve it. And I'm not saying he's got to, you know, vanquish it or defeat it, right? But look at how many times he's seen it this year already, guys. He's just seen it three times in a row with uh, TCU, Iowa State, and K-State. Before that, Wyoming ran it as their base defense. U of H broke it out as a tendency breaker. OU ran concepts of it. Uh, Rice ran concepts of it. It's all over the place. That's why I kept saying you got to figure it out. And did Sark, you know, score more points than his usual average against uh, a three-high, three-down defense versus Iowa State? No. He actually scored a little bit below his average that he averages uh, scoring-wise versus three-high, three-down defenses. But it was the plays that he designed up specifically in the second half that I really think gave Texas a huge schematic advantage. Now, I've been for a while, the three-high, three-down one of the keys to it, one of its, its unique strengths is the fact that it can disguise and distort better than any other defensive presentation, right? Better than the single high, better than the two high. It uses disguise and distortion, forcing quarterbacks to process everything post-snap because your pre-snap reads will lie to you. It's essentially a truth that tells a lie. And also it confuses run blocking schemes because you have second and third level defenders all right, coming down in the run fit. They're not in the box, but they're in the fit. And that confuses the blocking schemes because if a guy's coming from the third level, you may not know what your assignment is because you don't know what his run fit responsibilities are. So it doesn't, and by the way, like I said, I would say it does a great job of it. And my theory is, and I think Sark's on the same wavelength, you must force this monster of a hybrid defense to declare itself, right? This defense is about being malleable, malleability, hybridism, even with some of its players, right? Hybrid players to, to help the defense be a defense that can be uh, molded and shift and be a defense that can distort and disguise really well. In order to do that, you must be a defense that can disguise and that can be malleable. And Texas defense is 
is, is Texas, uh, sorry, Iowa State's defense is that. So the the key is to force it out of its pre-snap shell disguise and distortion and force it to declare itself, right? It has to abandon its shell disguise and abandon distortion, and that'll give the quarterback better indicators about what coverage they're in and it give the pass blockers uh, and the run blockers better indicators about what the fronts are and who's in the run fit. All right, but before that, it's all confusion forcing everything to process post snap. So Sark knows this, which is why he came out a lot in empty formation. And I would say you got to force them to de- declare their intention, and you do it by extreme formations. You do it with extreme personnel packages. It's it's no different. I was watching. It's going to be a crazy kind of analogy to make, but if you think about any sci-fi movie, sci-fi horror movie, or any movie with a monster in it, some horror flick, right? The first step in in conquering and vanquishing, defeating the monster, the aliens, whoever they are, is to force them to show themselves, right? You got, you, got to, you got to force them to declare themselves. You actually have to make them reveal themselves. And once the monster reveals themselves, then you can carry out your plan, your strategy to destroy them and to kill them, whatever it may be. Right? And, and you can see this play out in numerous plots, no matter what movie you're talking about. You, you look at Predator, right? The movie Predator, uh, where, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger's character looking to destroy the alien. First step is, all right, I got to make him reveal himself because he has like this cloak in his disguise. He has this camouflage, right? This, cam- this shield that camouflages the alien. So I got I to gotta force this alien to come out of the woodworks and declare itself. And boom, once you do that. Then we can destroy them. Then I can use all my traps and I can use all of my different tricks of the trade to try to defeat the alien. Even if you're talking about Independence Day, right, with Will Smith. Same thing, right? The alien uh, ship has this, uh, this shield, uh, this, this camouflage shield that you have to deactivate, right? And then you can, you can see it and then it can be revealed and then you can attack it. This is the key. It happens all the time. It's the same theme over and over and over. Uh, what alien movie or a horror movie or a monster movie you're talking about. Same thing with the three high, three down. You have to force that alien, force that monster to reveal itself. And then once Sark saw that it revealed itself and knew exactly what their intentions are, then you can attack it. And another thing, since I'm on the horror movie kick, I might as well continue down this road. You, the, the monster will reveal the rules. Right? All the monsters and aliens have certain rules they abide by. Right? If you learn the rules, then you can learn how to use those against the monster. Right? Same thing with I would say. I would say it's a fundamentally sound, a Simon sound defense, but you can use it against them. Same thing with, and, and, and think about it, and, and it's their greatest strength actually, is how a Simon sound they are. Remember I said going into the game, they only give up four rushes of 20 plus yards. Sark used that against them, just like in the Alien movies in Independence Day. What was the greatest strength of the aliens in Independence Day? It was the weapon, right? The, 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 the laser ray that could destroy the cities. And what ended up being their weakness? Well, right before they would deploy the laser, right when they would charge it up, they, they, the humans found out I could destroy it right at that time. The timing has got to be key, all right? The timing has got to be key. But once they, they charge the weapon, we can destroy them, destroy the whole damn ship. It backfires. Boom, we win. Happy ever, happily ever after, right? And same thing with the, the rules of a predator, right? Think about predator. Remember, he learns that the predator, it, it's, a, it's a game to him. So he, he's only going to destroy and attack people who are armed. So if you're unarmed, he, re, he recognizes, oh, he won't attack me, all right? He, he wants me to fight it, all right? He wants a battle, all right? So once you learn the rules, then you can violate the rules. Same thing Sark did. Sark found out the rules of the Iowa State defense and was able to violate them. Let's go over uh, how he did it. And, and, and it's a couple of, couple of instances here. We can give you the examples. So in the second half, it's 6-3. to three. In the second half, all right, uh, Sark, he has a second and 10. 
to Xavier Worthy. It's a 19-yard gain. It's not an empty formation. Remember, empty formation, extreme formation, forced the monster to show itself and to reveal itself. An empty formation wasn't really working for them. They weren't getting explosive uh, plays out of empty. What they were doing out of empty was stressing the defense enough that the defense has to show and indicate its alignment and its assignment, whatever the players are. So they went empty in the second half in the adjustment, whether by Quinn and X-Man or by Sark himself, it was a simple adjustment. They found out that Iowa State, when they went empty, Iowa State was going to zone it. That's what you know, number one. They're going to play zone. And when they zone, they would, they would pass off the crossing routes. They're going to pass off the crossing routes, the shallow drag routes, to, to, to the second-level defenders. But if, they, if the drag route stops, it becomes a stop route and stops, then the defenders would match up. All right, I'm going to match up that, that offensive player if he stops in my zone. But if he continues... All right, drag route and crossing, then I will pass him off to the other second-level defender. All right, and now when that, when what X-Man did was he basically stopped, he hesitated, and then the defender thought, all right, I'm going to match him. The other second-level defender thought, oh, if he stops, then that defender, all right, near him will match him and become basically a man-to-man -man coverage. I can go drift and find other work, which he did, but then the hesitation by X-Man it confused the defensive uh, coverage because he basically went to, when he hesitated and continued on his drag route, he went to the place that was voided by the second-level defender where the, uh, the near defender, the nearest defender, thought, oh, man, I'm passing him off because he continued in coverage. But the uh, defender who was voided, with the voided area, he assumed, oh, man, the other guy already matched him because it was a stop route. So these, these, these basically these miscues all right, by the Iowa State defense were due to Sark finding out the rules and finding out their keys and using their keys against them. And that was one way, and it was a 19-yard reception. It was the longest play they had out of empty formation. Because empty formation really wasn't working with them, but Sark found a way for it to work. And one of the keys in the first half was in empty formation, Quinn was holding on to the ball too long. Guess empty formation, sack rates drop in empty formation across uh, all college and pro, all right? They drop if you look at all reps of empty formation. And even my research too, but Quinn was holding on to the ball too long. They had four sacks in the first half. Two of those were in empty formation. And Sark saw that and went, man, why is he holding on to the ball in empty? He's supposed to be getting rid of the ball quickly. So Sark's adjustment, or maybe it was Quinn and X-Man's adjustment, whatever it was, was a brilliant one. Because all, all Quinn had to do was buy himself a little bit of time, and it was still a predetermined first window read. The key for Quinn is, Quinn's not great once he gets deep into progressions. Quinn is best, and by the way, the Sark offense is best, when the quarterback is throwing to first window reads, your first throw, your first read in your progression. When you have to get deeper to the second and third and fourth reading progression, that's when he looks a little bit uh, discombobulated, holds on to the ball, and looks a little erratic in the pocket. And we saw that in the first half with Quinn. So what did Sark do in the second half? All of those big chunk yardage plays, they were predetermined first read window throws just like that empty formation. We're going to X-Man. We just don't know if we're going to hit him on a stop or we're going to hit him on a shallow crosser. But he's, you're going to hit him on one of those depending on what the defense does. He did the same thing on, the same, on that same drive with Jay Witt. Jay Witt's touchdown was also using the keys of Iowa State against him. All right? You're talking about a first read window throw. I'm going to Jay Witt. He's my only read. I'm not going into a progression. He stalk blocks and go. The defenders from Iowa State assume, oh, man, it's going to be a crack block. So I'm coming up as a force run defender. That split second hesitation is all Jay Witt needs, and he's wide open touchdown. 
first read window throw using the keys all right, of the Iowa State defense against him. And by the way, in that uh, in that on that play with Jay Witt, uh, and that it's a third and one. I believe it ends up being a third and one situation. Uh, it starts out in two by two. It's a brilliant call because everything says run. Everything, body language, twelve personnel, everything. Also on that on that same drive, you're talking about the gun down the same drive. On, obviously in the same quarter, you're talking about that Gunner Helm touchdown. Uh, nobody was Gunner Helm touchdown. It's the start of the fourth quarter, so I take it back in the second half. The Gunner Helm touchdown was also a very similar stalk block and go situation. Um, he runs a what I call a drag wheel route across the formation. But once again, first read predetermined throw. He's not going through a progression. He knows Gunnar Helm is his target the entire time. Stark's got to scheme him open with a big window throw. It's exactly what he did with a stalk block and go. Same concept, using the keys of Iowa State against him. And then he runs the drag wheel route wide open to the other side of the field. These are all very similar in how Sark schemed him up. He also schemed up a, a, an A.D. Mitchell uh, d- uh, double move. They got a P.I. later on. But remember, First read window throws. I'm going to one guy. He's my receiver, and I'm going to scheme him open using the keys of Iowa State's defense against him. Brilliant, Sark. You, sir, are a chess master. That was a chess master performance, especially going up against John Haycock. Well said. There you go. There's the breakdown. Uh, huge plays for Texas, who uh, found themselves 6-3 to three at the half because of the, the penalties that called back two touchdowns, but they uh, overcame that, came back to win that football game by 10. Uh, Longhorns are 10-1 and one for the first time since 09. We'll come back off the record. Some stories maybe you've missed, but you need to hear into this Thanksgiving week. We'll have that coming for you uh, as we roll on. It's a busy Monday on Hook'em Up with Ian Rock. D.D. Megadoodoo, I'm sorry, Mangudu. Once it's turned on, the sign will spell out Deli Cat Essen. Well, well, I don't get a brain man, Cole. Well, congratulations. Continue good sex in, the, good sex in the Big East. Thank you, Jimmy. And boom goes the dynamite. It's time for another edition of Off the Record. Do it live. I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live. And thing sucks. Oh, good news and off the record, Rod, if you're uh, like Ty and a lot of people done with the Taylor Swift situation with oh, no. Travis Kelsey. Oh, no. She will not be in attendance tonight at the Monday Night Football Whoa, game. Oh, why not? Uh, well, because this is off the record, Taylor Swift had a concert on Saturday night in Brazil. She's on her Eras tour through, the, through South America. And she would, of course, Travis stopped in to see her in Argentina when she played there, right, uh, last week. Well, she had a concert on Saturday night, and temperatures were well in excess of 100 degrees, and a, a fan died. And they they think of the heat. Oh, wow! Um, so she what? and the the temperatures were again planned for last night's show to be over 100. So she postponed to the show till tonight because it's yeah. supposed to cool down a little bit, uh, and she needed this and for the grief or whatever, and just for mourning the young the, the young fan. A uh, 23 year old fan was killed at uh, one of her shows or died at one of her shows. So she will be having a concert tonight in Brazil, not be at the game tonight. Oh, that's horrible. But yeah. we'll see if the parents show up because the reports were that both Taylor Swift's parents and the Kelsey's were going to be gathering in this luxury suite to watch the Chiefs play uh, the Eagles and both Kelsey boys will be playing. Her parents ain't going to go if she's not going to be there. I would think. That's too awkward. I mean, it's like if you were dating somebody and you wanted y'all's parents to meet for the first time and then one of y'all didn't show up, but the parents still wanted to meet. It's like, nah, that's weird. 
I should yeah. be there to help, you know what I mean, hey, but they would facilitate this. Aren't they from outside Philadelphia and they're big Eagles fans? They just want to be at the game. They could just want to be at the game. <laughs> could just want to be at the game. You're right. It could be. Because that's kind of the storyline is that, you know, Taylor grew up out at Philadelphia and her family ball, Eagles fans. They're playing the Chiefs. His okay. boyfriend's on the Chiefs. Okay. We'll see tonight. It but, could uh, be. That's your Monday Night Football game of the – certainly the Monday Night Football game of the year. Might be the game of the year. In, it's a Super Bowl rematch. And as we told you, it's the first time since 1979 with the Cowboys and Steelers, Rod. The two teams who played in the Super Bowl are playing again in the in the next year after Week Ten, and have this good of records. Like they, yeah. there has not been a Super Bowl hangover for either team. Yeah, no, I got some stats about that too. It's just yeah, it's that's rare. Like, it's that very rare. rare. Never happened. <laughs> exactly. I mean, 1979. 1979 gosh, I was seven years old last time that happened. Yeah, I was. I wasn't born. That's right. <laughs> yeah. um, how about this? A Lakers fan hit a half court shot and won fifty five thousand dollars. Nice. And they believe he tore his ACL. In the process, there's video Is of him he celebrating. No, he just like landed wrong trying to shoot the half court shot because he injures himself before, like even before it, it makes it in. I want to say right, right as he, yeah, like he basically he launches the foot the, the basketball and lands after oh. launching it. He lands in a strange, awkward manner, and then bigger fella l- or athletic looking guy. Uh, athletic looking, but he lays on the ground, grabs his knee. They try to help him off, and he can't walk off. Oh, man. He can't walk off on his own. Terrible. Oh, man. He, so he might have won 55 Gs, but might have tore his ACL. Hey, now, hey, Rod, you know we call Friday Black Friday with all the shopping that goes oh, on? Oh, yeah. Did you know that plumbers call Friday Brown Friday? Okay. All right. It says right here, right. busiest day of the year for plumbers is the day after Thanksgiving. They call it Brown Friday. People breaking toilets. 50% more calls than average. Because people breaking toilets out there? Yeah, the aftermath of Thanksgiving, I guess. Because there's such gluttons out there. (laughs) I guess. Breaking toilets, this is a thing? Brown Friday. Sorry to ruin your breakfast, but that's what they call it. In the plumbing industry. Y'all need to eat some greens. Y'all need to eat some vegetables or something. Come on, man. something. Breaking toilets. Eat us some drink. Roto-Rooter. Something. Come on, now. There's off the record. We come back. We got more to do. It's a good, bad, and ugly Monday on a... On a busy Monday, hook them up on Ian Rodby. <laughs>